Welcome to All About Art. My name is Alexandra, and I'm an art historian, curator, and writer. Within this podcast, topics relating to art history, cultural policy, the art sector, as well as a large range of other art-related topics will be covered. Conducting critical discussions, having entertaining exchanges, or just enjoying some relaxing chats? All About Art is where you'll find it all. Join me in exploring and developing cultural discourse. Welcome to another Art News Analysis. This is an analysis of not only March 2022, but generally of the last few months. In this episode, I will cover some art market news, some developments in collecting, the stabbing at MoMA, as well as the war in Ukraine and how the arts have responded worldwide. Before I get started, I wanted to let you lovely listeners know that I have launched All About Art on Patreon. So if you want some behind-the-scenes content, maybe a bit of merch, the chance to get one-on-ones with me and my guests, or are simply wanting to support this project, I would be absolutely thrilled if you decided to sign up. You can do so through the link that's in the show notes. I also wanted to say thank you to those who have already signed up. Your support means the world, and it makes the further production, improvement, and growth of this podcast possible. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. Diving into art news, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen art at flea markets or yard sales or maybe even a small house and garden auction? Well, interestingly, a sculpture by the renowned Italian sculptor Antonio Canova was rediscovered after it had been sold at a garden statuary auction in London in 2002 so 20 years ago, for just over £5,000. Now would be a good time to note that the sculpture is coming to the auction block at Christie's and has an estimate of five to eight million pounds. It had gone through a number of hands before it came to Christie's, belonging to the UK Prime Minister in the early 1800s, even shown in exhibitions, and then sold to a manor house, an activist, and an art dealer. Throughout all of this, Somewhere along the way, it lost its attribution to Canova, hence why it was able to be bought for only £5,000. You can read the whole story in more detail in the art newspaper article, and I've linked it in the show notes if you are particularly curious. The statue, according to the Christie's press release, is an incredibly important example of neoclassical sculpture. I will read the lovely quote by Dr. Mario Guderzo, former director of the Museo Gipsoteca Antonio Canova. It is a miracle that Antonio Canova's exceptional, long-lost masterpiece, the recumbent Magdalene, has been found 200 years after its completion. This work has been searched for by scholars for decades, so the discovery is of fundamental importance for the history of collecting and the history of art. It testifies to the intensive thought process of the work of the Italian sculptor, who was a fundamental witness of his time. Faithful to Pope Pius VII, sought after by Napoleon, beloved by the English sovereign George IV, esteemed by the world of European collecting and of critical importance for the restitution of works of art seized under Napoleon. The rediscovery of the recumbent Magdalene brings to conclusion a very particular story worthy of a novel of a marble of significant historical value and great aesthetic beauty, 
produced by Canova in the final years of his artistic activity. All right, so I will be waiting for that book. I have put the link to the press release in the show notes as well, as it goes into much further detail and contains some stunning images of the sculpture, and I highly recommend looking at it if that quote didn't pique your interest enough. While we are on the topic of collecting, recently a group of around 50 collectors came together to create a code of conduct for collecting contemporary art, and they launched it in February. Within this code, they encourage ideals such as conserving and documenting art, keeping it for the long term, and making pieces available for public exhibition. It's intended to serve as a helpful guide to explain what turns a quote-unquote buyer into a quote-unquote collector and contains an ambitious call to action. I quote, We aim to move away from collecting being a secretive activity, pure buying power, a vehicle to social status, or a capricious and at times abusive private passion. The author of the opinion piece that I've sourced for this podcast episode, Melanie Gerlis, she's a well-known art market columnist, and she states that she doesn't fully agree with the recommendations provided by this code of conduct. These codes go so far as to suggest that collectors should be holding dealers accountable to pay artists properly, which, she argues, is not a responsibility that should fall onto collectors, which I agree with. They suggest an ethical collector must, quote, show, frame, store, catalog, preserve, and where applicable, restore the artworks in the best possible conditions to assure their integrity and longevity. This would be amazing in an ideal world. However, these things are incredibly costly, and it isn't as straightforward as it sounds. What do they mean by show? Does that mean lend it to every institution that asks for it? And if no institutions are asking for it, is it the art collector's job to seek opportunities to show the work? No, absolutely not. And they're also not obligated to lend it to every institution. As Gerlis rightfully states in her article, art collecting is not a profession. However, it is true that art collecting can be incredibly ambiguous, fueled by false motives and pure market values instead of the cultural, social, psychological, or otherwise creative values of an artist or an artwork. In another article about the Code of Conduct, written by one of the authors of the Code, some examples of the shady business of art collectors is listed. One example of bad practice is a collector sitting on a museum board who hears about a still-to-be-announced exhibition and, knowing that the prices will skyrocket once the exhibition is announced, rushes to purchase affordable artworks by the artist. Another example is the mega collector who buys out the studio of an emerging artist, exhibits them in his or her private museum, and feigns surprise when those works magically appear in an auction house with lofty estimates. The author asks the readers, why do such actions still happen in the art market, while in many other sectors, all of these things would be treated as conflicts of interest, insider trading, or abuse of power? Quoting the author while I ask this question, Why as collectors have we not yet fully come to accept that these behaviors are unfair towards other collectors, abusive towards art workers, exploitative towards institutions, and disruptive to the market? Why is there such a gigantic blind spot amongst this well-educated, well-resourced, and presumably well-meaning group? And out of this, the code of conduct emerged. 
And although on the website, the code of conduct is written in the technical language of professional ethics and compliance, within the article, also linked in the show notes, the author breaks it down a bit. One of the points mentioned is in relation to paying artists fairly. And while I agree that institutions should provide more financial support to artists, or that artists should be entitled to a percentage of the resale of their works, which is also why a little thing called artists' resale right exists, I still agree with Gerlis in her point I mentioned earlier that I'm not entirely in agreement that this is down to the collector to bring into motion. It's good to keep in mind, especially if you are one of those collectors that are also involved with an institution and have some say in what happens, but that's a teeny tiny percentage of collectors. And then you could also say that that's quite hypocritical because wouldn't they be abusing their power to support the artists that they collect? In the next point, the author states that supporting museums or independent art spaces is an act of generosity, of civic duty, and often very much needed by these institutions, but that collectors should support them without interfering with their freedom of choice in terms of their collection or exhibition program. It is unfair to use their financial need to push for our preferences or profits. So in the one point, we should be pushing for museums to use their money to pay the artists we collect, but in the other point they make, we should not be interfering, especially when these institutions are already in financial need. In an ideal world, that would be great to find a way to argue both, but in this case, it's all a bit of an oxymoron. Another point is that collectors should not quote-unquote art wash. Supporting art is great, however, using that as a PR tool for private interest and profit is unethical, so we shouldn't provide support to art institutions or exhibitions as a way to improve our individual, family, or corporate image, is what it says. I know that this isn't the most articulate piece of feedback I can give, but man, that just sounds a bit judgy, like let me enjoy that I support the arts and that it's something that I believe in. It may inspire others to do the same. I feel like these codes come from good intentions, but they aren't thought through. I understand that there are deeply problematic things happening in the art market, but these are done by people who know what they're doing in terms of financial and institutional strategies, and they will most likely proceed to do these things with or without this code of conduct, which ends up coming across as a bit of self-righteousness instead of being educational or informative. If you really want to make a difference, then new cultural policies need to be in place and not a code of conduct that tells collectors how to do things. While on the topic of unethical conduct, something really shocking happened this March at MoMA in New York. A man named Gary Cabana attacked two MoMA workers, stabbing them after they denied him entry. He had apparently been involved in prior incidents at the museum, and they didn't allow him to enter because his membership had been revoked. According to news outlets and tabloids, Cabana suffered from mental health issues. Either way, he has now been arrested, and thankfully, both workers had been taken to the hospital afterwards and are fully recovering. Also going on in New York, but something that is relevant to cultural policy everywhere, I'd argue is that salary transparency is ever-increasing. Not just through people communicating more about their earnings, but in legislation as well. The City Council in New York has moved to enforce wage disclosures in job advertisements in an attempt to move against a persisting issue of pay inequality in the arts and cultural sector. According to the article in The Art Newspaper, 
any company with more than four employees has to adhere to putting a minimum and maximum salary or hourly wage on their job adverts. The thought behind all of this is that it will add to transparency and have a positive impact on the pay inequalities. However, this alone definitely won't solve the situation, which is a point also mentioned within the article. It's noted that the U.S. art world is very known for being vague about salaries and negotiation is a big necessity. But with the new law, these organizations will have to be transparent from the start. However, I think there will still be room for negotiating. So to all of you women out there, like myself, who feel like they don't want to be a burden to ask for a pay rise, it's time. The gender pay gap still very much exists, and even more so for women of color. So hopefully this law will bring some transparency. However, let's speak up for what we deserve and get the pay we're worth. Just some food for thought. I'm telling myself this as much as I'm telling you. Something to note in relation to this, though, is a trend in self-disclosure, as well as the legal one for organizations. More and more employees are feeling comfortable disclosing their own salaries. And honestly, if I would have done that sooner in previous jobs, I would have fought for a pay rise a lot faster. Because 99% of the time, that's not a real statistic, just FYI, <laughs> the company can afford it. There was even a viral Google spreadsheet in 2019 called Art Museum Salary Transparency 2019, where current and former employees shared their salaries and conditions of employment in art institutions. Please get in touch if you know of something like that for London. I would honestly love to see something like that. It would not only be really interesting, but also incredibly useful for so many people in so many ways. For the final topic of the episode, I wanted to speak about the Ukraine. As we all know, armed conflict has seized the nation due to Russia invading the country. I have included a few links in the show notes that you can access to donate to organizations that provide aid to the humanitarian crisis. One powerful installation in Lviv, a city in western Ukraine, which was reportedly carried out by locals, was that 109 baby strollers were lined up in the city's central square to represent the number of children who have been killed so far in the war. Children have lost their lives, and many more are suffering and are traumatized. Which is where I want to mention another form of support, which is through the art fundraiser Herclique is organizing, where artists such as Aline Alijem, who was a guest here on the podcast, have come together and donated artworks for the proceeds to be donated to the charity Voices of Children. Voices of Children provides psychological and psychosocial support to children, helping them overcome the consequences of armed conflict. As is with everything, the link is in the show notes to have a look. In addition to helping those deeply affected by the war in Ukraine is, of course, how cultural policies are adjusting to the crisis. When it comes to art sales and art auctions, both Christie's and Sotheby's have cancelled their upcoming London auctions of Russian art. Of course, that makes sense because of sanctions, and so the auction houses wouldn't be able to transact with Russian clients or businesses, either to buy or to consign, if I'm not mistaken. And to try and work around it and hold Russian sales with no Russian clients not only leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouths, but it's also very silly from a business point of view. 
The November 2021 Russian art sales totaled at around 17.7 million pounds at Sotheby's alone. And believe me, I was in the bids department at that time, and I remember how incredibly buzzing it was in New Bond Street during the week where multiple sales of Russian art were held. Something else that I actually didn't know before this is that Philip's auction house has been under scrutiny because it's Russian-owned, which, you know, that's not really something that you can just change. However, I do wonder what restrictions have been set on the auction house in comparison to the other auction houses because of its ownership. Apparently, though, through the 20th century and contemporary art evening sale held at Philip's, 5.8 million pounds from that sale were taken and donated to the Ukrainian Red Cross, which is honestly amazing in my opinion. And that concludes this art news analysis episode from the beginning of 2022 with a slightly heavier focus on March. Let me know what you think. Do you believe the Canova will sell within its estimate of 5 to 8 million pounds? And what do you think about the code of conduct for collectors? Do you agree or do you think that their asks are not really reasonable? To end the episode, I just want to say, please do consider donating to the initiative supporting Ukraine, as every little bit helps. If every listener donated 10 euros, pounds, dollars, whatever, to one of the causes, we would already be able to make such a difference together. So if you are able and you're listening, I urge you to join me in picking a cause to donate to. Or in some of the cases, even purchase an artwork with the proceeds being donated, which is great too. As always, thank you so much for listening. And that is it for today on All About Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating or a review as it helps more people discover the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends or if you share on social media, tag me and get in touch. Thank you so much for listening. 